there's not going to be any character arcs. There's not going to be any emotions. Yeah. I'm really just going to see big robots punch, punch monsters in the face, <laughs> potentially with like buses or boats or something. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 188 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin down on in San Jose, California. Hello. On the line, as it were. Um, yeah, so uh, we have a quick, uh, uh, sort of an Ask MTJC. It's not really an official one, but um, last week I, I was uh, joking with the guys about um, t-shirts for, um, you know, our mock 200th, or 200th uh, episode, which is coming up in sometime in June. Um, so I thought you know we could do a t-shirt that said i heard the 200th episode or i've heard 200 episodes that that got no votes i did a twitter poll because i'm you know greg would be proud of me for doing that i'm also or i survived 200 200 episodes that was uh, the second most popular um in third place was i binged 200 episodes but the far by far winner was and i've got a picture of it here was a t-shirt that says i entered the wwdc lottery and all i got was this lousy t-shirt and i decided today we should make it available in space gray too for an extra 20 dollars yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that one too. Although it's a to uh, to say that, considering I actually actually won. Well, I, I you know I I think I think it's I think it's uh, the the humor is there. I think for yeah. people, I think because I mean normally we do the t shirt and we and we we offer them to fans of the show who will go to WWC to help promote us. But uh, I I don't I don't I'm not really going to be fussy about whether or not you won or not. I think it's still a funny funny sentiment because I mean and and so Sean Marston asked if it should say 2018 on there and I and I said. I replied that no, it's it's kind of an evergreen joke because we you know it wouldn't matter what, you know I think even if you entered if you won the lottery this year you probably lost last year and you'll probably lose next year right so yep. you know it's a thing that keeps I think that's what we're going to go with this year so cool I think it's quite an astute question because hypothetically we may or may not have set precedents for putting years right because we had the original uh, sort of like larger Keystone one we had a very similar one the next year but in like a wider variety of colors and a different uh, yeah. provider manufacturer. Um, and then this most recent year was the uh, 2017 World Tour, which right, was, yeah. was sort of timely given uh, what we were all collectively doing, you know, traveling conference-wise in Realms World Tour. That was sure, yeah, like a yeah. meta inside Inception type joke. So, um, yeah, kudos to Sean Marston for for recognizing that. But yes, I, I don't think we will always put like a year on these in, in case folks uh, folks are wondering about that. Sure, sure, all right. And we're going to get them done early enough. Carol was complaining about the fact that last. I was waited till the last minute, and people are literally driving to the airport. We're, we're delivering them to people's hotels to, so they can get the shirt in time for the show. Uh, yeah, actually, I had one guy who uh, a friend of, a friend of ours came and got to my house and got one of the t-shirts <laughs> before he got on the plane. So, all right, it wasn't it wasn't on his way to the airport, but it was like it was pretty, we cut it pretty close. Anywho, well, we could we could hand deliver them. Oh, that's true. Year. We have we have a we have an elf down in uh, yeah. in San Jose. Yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. That's true. That's true. An inside man. Actually, two. Inside men. So yeah, a quick follow up for those who are following along at home. That um, I did not get a ticket. Um, Jaime did not enter the contest this year, and both Mark and Greg got tickets this year. So Greg had one last year too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Greg and Mark will be at the uh, at the conference. If you're at WWDC, look them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a uh, quick.
quick thing there. I had fully intended to follow our uh, our plan of, oh, what if I, you know, enter the lottery late and have that be different than entering early and maybe I'll win. And then I kind of procrastinated a little too long, woke up late on Thursday, realized, holy smokes, I need to get to an appointment, rushed to get ready in the morning. And then by the time that finished, it was like, oh no, I've actually gone past the 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time thing. So I, I fully intended to put my name into the lottery and just failed to do yeah. so. So that's on me. And, and I did remind those guys because I have the three hour advantage on them. Um, so just, just, you know, didn't you actually study computer science, honey? I did. Mm-hmm. Didn't they teach you statistics at all? Yes. Uh, to a lesser extent, <laughs> a probability was probably the most uh, okay, applicable yeah, yeah, one yeah. here. But I still maintain that uh, this is assuming, you know, if, if they were using some sort of uh, commercial off the shelf software for the lottery system, okay, you know, maybe, maybe it was uh, fully great. If it is uh, a home rolled solution, it's like, well, maybe there's an opportunity here where somebody has messed up the random number generator. Uh, they they, uh-huh, they thought uh-huh. they could they could do something uh, cute and sweet and, and interesting. And like most things, you probably should not write your own random number generator because you're almost certainly going to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. sort of what I was banking on. We don't actually know that it is a random number generator. We don't know for sure that this is truly a random thing. They tell us it is. True. But yeah, they might yeah. be deciding. We I don't, don't know. We don't, I don't know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like the moon landing. Why would you go to all that effort to fake the moon landing, really? You know? And think of how many people you'd have to have buy in on that to make it fly. Well, Pardon. for this, they only need really one person. <laughs> I, person guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Here's yeah. the list. Send emails out to those lists. Yeah. 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 So we'll have, uh, we'll have Mark and, and Greg there. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll have like a hot dog cart or the t shirts or something where we can <laughs> sell extra ones in front of the event center. Sure. sure. Maybe we will, uh, We'll head over to the uh, the Apple Visitor Center on a day on an off day and and have some available there for people who couldn't make it to the show. Mm, yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Anyway, so a quick follow up item here. We I think we've talked about um, we've talked I've talked about MDM many times on the show before, or, and then now they have this thing called Device Enrollment Program, which we're using at the big corporation where I work to you know automatically enroll devices into into MDM. But um, a fellow, uh, I mean. I'm, I'm a former Apple consultant, but a current current guy who's an Apple consultant posted this on LinkedIn today that Apple has a an Apple business manager. They have a, they've had an education um, sort of segment, and we'll talk about that a bit as well for enrolling multiple devices into schools and stuff like that. But now they've um, I guess they and they had this um, Apple Configurator two software for enrolling devices, whether it's iOS or or Macs, into a, sort of a managed pro- process. But now they have an Apple Apple business manager. Manager, and it's in beta right now, so you can sign up for it if you have a, a business. You just have to make a, a apply, and then Apple vets you and make sure you are a business. And it lets you uh, participate in their in their volume purchase program as well as have um, access to the uh, to the ability to enroll your devices. Um, what it is is when you buy one from a, an authorized seller, reseller, or from an Apple store with your DEP account, it automatically becomes sort of a the, the it kind of signs the assigns the machine to your business. And then it just makes the, the enrollment uh, um, automatic. So anyway, so lots of benefits to being a member of this um, this Apple business um, program, business manager app. And it's it's like an app where you can manage stuff yourself and have people automatically enrolled. So if you're interested, if you're a business and you need to enroll a bunch of Macs and iOS devices into the program, I certainly recommend you take a look at this. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Okay. And that applies to iOS devices too. You can, I think you have like 30 days or something to enroll them once you've purchased them however 
you buy them from to put them into your program. Is there um, like a like an expected size for this sort of thing? Like the sweet spot for this? Like you know, if I have I don't know one, ten, a hundred, a thousand. Like what's what's the sort of sweet spot for this? Well, I mean, okay. in the case of IBM, they have like a hundred thousand, but I don't think most people are that big. Um, it could be. I think it's anywhere. Like if you're if you're managing ten or twenty or whatever, it still pays. Um, but if you're if you're in a business where you have to manage a number of things, and, and maybe you want to you know have restrictions on services and stuff like that, the advantage of um, the, the business volume license program, and there may be a cap or minimum on that. I'm not sure if it's fifty licenses or like for instance, if you were buying one password, for instance, right? Instead of p- buying fifty individual licenses licenses assigned to individual Apple IDs, you would buy 50 licenses that are part of your, your business, and then you dole them out to 50 users through the through the MDM system. And then, you know, if a couple of people leave the organization, you just basically revoke their license and assign it to the next person. So it's like, instead of having, you know, buying software for George and Bob and Fred, you now buy three licenses and you, you dole them out to George and Bob and Fred, right? Do you follow me? Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I, so when, they, when they leave, you can, you can revoke, like, even if they bring their own Mac to the business, you can enroll them. Well, so you have to do like a, a user enrollment thing, but you with the volume license thing, you could dole out the license to them and then revoke them later on if you needed to for whatever reason. It just saves you a few dollars uh, in in terms of pricing, but it also saves you a, sort of a management headache in terms of who's got what and that kind of stuff, right? Right, right. So, yeah, and yeah. we probably should point out this is this is meant more for consumers of apps rather than developers of apps. So if you're yeah, 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 if you're a development yeah. shop and you're you want to do beta testing you still want to go through test flight or something similar yeah yeah oh no it's not meant it's not meant for yeah, yeah. it's not that kind of distribution no yep. yeah good yep. good point good point yeah i'm um, just looking here quick if it has anything on this pdf it's anyways a pdf you can read about and i'm sure there's more online from apple about the, the program anywho um next thing it was uh so i was I found this video online I, I think it's cool to i always like to follow up on the the people who were involved in the original creation of the mac experience as it were and uh i think i don't know if you so you, this, one of you guys has a pro Mac iMac Pro at work, right? I may maybe yes, <laughs> right. Okay, so apparently, and I, I wasn't. I, I think I had heard this, but I kind of didn't register with me that the startup chime that that we've been used to listening to forever um, since you know like since 1984 pr- practically. Uh, no, I think shortly after that, probably the plus days or something like that. Um, there's that sort of F chord that gets played. It's an F chord, right, Mark? I think I'm not sure what it is actually. It's an F the one that goes chord. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne, that one, yeah. yeah okay. I, I think I think it's a, anyways. There's a video here um, starring um, Jim Reeks, who is the guy who originally created that sound. And in, in the story, he tells he kind of snuck it into the ROM so that so that it would be there because the, the kind of sound it used to used to make when you start turned on a Mac. Oh yeah, that's right. My my old um, 128s and stuff just go. They go like a single tone. They kind of go ping and they turn on. So that at some point in time, he snuck this uh, this uh, chord into um, into the Macs. Anyway, that's now no longer in. The, the startup sound like the startup sound is now gone in the, the latest incarnations of Max mm, so kind of strange yeah it is too by the way according to this um, it's an F sharp not an F F sharp okay I knew it was an, I knew F something yep. like like I'm sure my, my former lead guitarist is just cringing at the thought that I you know didn't recognize the difference between an F and an F sharp but anyway <laughs> it's an F something <laughs> is what I used to say to him all the time um, anyway uh, yeah so, so the interesting video about this guy uh, and the sound and he's the one that actually uh, wrote the sound Sosumi where he had 
had taken a xylophone and, and recorded a xylophone sound and, and he had to give it a name. He had to give, uh, in the story he says, he had to give the sounds names that weren't associated with music so that they couldn't, you know, end up back in court with the Beatles, right? With Apple Apple Corp. Mm. Um, so the xylophone sound was, he wanted to call wanted to call it Let It Beep, right? Mm. <laughs> but he, but <laughs> he figured that might get them in more trouble. So he changed the name to Sosumi, right? And if you listen to, if you go to your Mac right now, you probably have that sound in your system. But yeah, sad day. No more, no more chime when the Mac starts up, right? So an interesting video. So we'll have that in the show notes for people driving at home. Again, a quick one here. Apparently, so Foxconn, we've talked about in the past, and Belkin, who we've also talked about in the past. Belkin, I mean, to me, they kind of came from the outskirts. They were making like peripherals for various things, but now they've got, uh, now they're more moving more into the Mac world. If you need to buy like an Ethernet dongle, it's probably going to, a good one comes from Belkin. And they've got the, the what do you call the device, the, the cableless or wireless, we're calling them uh, chargers, induction chargers, right? For the I, the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8. Right. right? The uh, Qi, I think, QI, Qi. Yeah. Uh, so, chargers. Yeah. So apparently uh, Foxconn is to acquire them. Oh, uh, Linksys, Belkin, and Wemo. Really? Hmm. I yes, I got Belkin. initially confused. So that's not Waymo, that is Wemo. Which, yeah. Waymo being the Google or Alphabet yeah, subsidiary. Yeah, car people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But Linksys is, consi- is uh, significant. Yeah, that's pretty recognizable. I remember, uh, I don't really keep up to date with the latest and greatest and what's what's hot in the uh, router world, but there was like definitely a period of time where it's like, oh man, you have like the Linksys router. Like that's serious stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Linksys, I thought Linksys was bought by Cisco. No, Linksys is already owned by Belkin. So oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah. Belkin, they get both of the brand names. Right. Uh, right. Okay, okay. Huh. Well, it's interesting though, because uh, kind of brings them closer to Apple than they would to necessarily to the other guys like Google Camp or whatever, right? I mean, certainly if you're going to be on the coattails of something, stuff like providing stuff for Apple products, um, either aftermarket or in the device itself, seems like a really good business model. They, they buy in huge quantities. For sure. Yeah. Cool. And speaking of peripherals, the big announcement of the big everybody's excited about, is, of course, is that the, um, the as well as our T-shirt, you can also get a, uh, a keyboard, a mouse, or a trackpad, Magic, Magic Trackpad 2 in space gray now as well. That was announced yesterday, right? Yes. As of this recording, um, that, that was true. Um, I've not seen the trackpad, but I've seen the keyboard and the mouse in person because, it, as Tim mentioned, we've got a, an iMac Pro and I just saw it like unboxed, um, I don't know, three weeks ago, probably last time I was I was at the home office. And I don't know that the pictures really do it justice because it actually looks like really nice. Like it's it's hard to, to yeah, sort of gauge yeah. from just the pictures. Like it looks really sweet. And and seeing the iMac Pro itself with it, with the coloring is really nice too. Um, but it's worth it's, an extra 20 bucks though. I don't know if it's worth an extra 20 bucks, but you know, I've got an older, I've got a Gen 1 Magic Mouse and a Gen 1 keyboard. Um, you know, eventually when those stop working or start having issues, I might really consider getting the Space Gray uh, Magic Mouse and keyboard. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the price will drop by then or I'll get a sale somewhere or something. And this is a wireless 101 keyboard, right? Wireless what keyboard? 101, 101 keys. Uh, the, key, the keys with the number key, number pad and the paging up and down and all that kind of stuff, those are, uh, it's a, if you count it, I believe it's 101 keys. Yeah, that would make sense because I'm looking at my other wireless one and it does not have the number pad. So yeah, that makes sense. And it, I mean, if you ask me, I really like the configuration of like the, the cross T for arrows rather than having yeah, sort yeah. of like the, yeah. the weird half style or half height key for the up and down arrows. Yeah. It's a, 
I mean, the, the configuration of keys that we're looking at in the picture here that they've got on the Verge article is the same as I'm using the aluminum um, keyboard with the you know the flat lozenge keys, but wired like an animal, right? Because you know I, I prefer this keyboard to the other ones, right? So although the keyboard on the Mac track Touch Bar Macs are really nice, but yeah, so this is uh, similar to that. Cool, but but uh, battery powered. Yeah, I've not. So I have um, again both both types, uh, not not these space gray ones, but I've got the sort of like the Gen One wireless keyboard. Um, it has I don't know like a cylinder on the back for space for the batteries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Gen One mouse, so, you know, I have to pop off the little shield every once in a while and put some new batteries in it. Man, I have that's an induction habit. charger for mine from I think it's Mobi M O B E E. I've got induction chargers that let's see, but you like you buy a battery pack and you put it inside the mouse, and then when you're not using it, you just rest it on the platen and then it charges it. Oh, that's okay. actually a really good idea. Do they have yeah, that see? for the keyboards as well? Yeah, they have. They have for the. They even have. I think I've actually seen ones where you can actually put the trackpad and the and the keyboard all in line, so you have like one unit on your desk. But yeah, they make they make accessories for that too, because because the same sort of thing. They have a a battery pack that slides into this into the back of the um the keyboard. I don't know how that does how it would do the induction charging if that's the case. But yeah, this this Mobe company M O B E dot E company. They've uh, I've been using these for years. So so I've got that. We've got the old one, and it sounds like you've got an enhancement on top of that. I've also got the newer one that has the newer wireless keyboard and the newer wireless mouse, the ones that have internal batteries and you essentially just recharge them through the lightning port that they have. Oh, right, right. Okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's probably what this one is, right? Probably the same thing, like a lightning, lightning charger, right? For the yeah, I, I would guess so. I didn't really, like, I wasn't the one unboxing the iMac Pro, so I didn't get a chance to look that closely at ports and everything, but right, like, it's right. so much nicer having the internal battery pack to it and that you can just charge roughly over lunch, I would say. So normally I never really think about it. It warns me some random afternoon, like, oh, your keyboard's pretty low. I was like, all right, well, I guess when I go eat my sandwich for lunch over my lunch break, I'm going to just plug this thing in and then just walk walk away, come back. And by then it's almost certainly recharged the keyboard because that lasts forever in a day. And then the mouse will get, I don't know, 75 to 80% of the way there. Oh, so, so this is the mouse where you have to lie it on its back and stab it in the middle of its stomach with the lightning cable? Yeah, the one that looks like, like a turtle that got knocked over on its back in the hot desert sun sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wonder why they wouldn't put the lightning cable in the side so you could use it while it's charging. Probably because it would um, destroy the way it looks. And you would also be encouraging people subtly to not have it as a wireless mouse, which is sort of oh, antithetical okay. to what they want, right? Like, I, I agree <laughs> it's a much better as that versus, hey, let me just continuously top this thing off with this lightning cable that's attached to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, resistance is futile and you will be assimilated. Yeah, maybe if they could have made it so, like, the top opens up like a, yeah. like a dung beetle or something, like, it, like the shell pops open and you plug it in there, you know? Maybe yeah, that would be less yeah. offensive than the uh, tortoise on his back sort of thing, but... Yeah, the probably, dead armadillo, yeah. Yeah, it's probably cheaper to just put it on the on the very bottom of the thing. Yeah, that's cool. So, are we all going to go up, run out and buy space gray accessories? I know I probably will, even though I don't need them. <laughs> I, I probably no, won't I probably just because won't. I'm going to run this keyboard and this mouse into the ground as well, just like my laptop. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got, like, multiple trackpads. I even I even found the other day I have, a, a like, the, the original a wireless Bluetooth keyboard in the box. I've never even taken it out of the box. You know, the one that has the, the same layout as your laptop, you know, just without the number pad on the side. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just sitting in the box doing nothing. It's it's boring. It's white. Why would I use it? Right? <laughs> um, all right. So another interesting story I saw today when I was having lunch actually was uh, this case between, um, and actually I think Matthias, I should give him uh, a shout out too, because I think he posted it on Slack as well, um, that uh, Google and Oracle have been in um, arguments in court for many years, I guess 
class about uh, who has the rights to use Java or not, right? Or because um, I think um, and to avoid um, further lit- litigation, Google has uh, created their own version of Java to J- Java APIs, basically to run for their Android operating system. Um, but from what what I read today, the court has uh, given Sun, I guess Oracle, I guess uh, Oracle Oracle bought Sun. Is that how it works? Yes, yes. Oracle bought Sun a few years back. Right, so they own Java, and uh, apparently, the fact that uh, yeah, the, the fact that the court, court has ruled in favor of Oracle means that um, there are lots of parts of the Android operating system that are now uh, questionable, right? In terms of whether Android or sorry Google have to pay um, Oracle some funds for using them, right? And that so I think there was some speculation as to why Kotlin came to be as well was, but I think I think Kotlin came to be for a completely different reason, right? Yeah. I believe so, but it is kind of convenient, you know, like it, it, actual coincidence not not joking coincidence like actual convenient coincidence yeah and i was reading here too that uh deeper down that uh other third parties may also be in trouble because of their use of um where was that i was reading that somewhere in this pair in this article uh that other people who write software for google operating systems and or other things maybe iot could be in trouble because of this too yeah essentially mm-hmm. anywhere that, that google made android available right and their um, okay, their iot right, stuff right. they had like brillo or something like I swear it sounded like a like a brand name like the scrubbing pads or Brita you know like the the, the water filters it, it had a name like that and it was like an IoT an Internet of Things um, op Android equivalent ish right. based yeah op- they mentioned SwiftTech here SwiftStack here which is a storage technology company use APIs from Android or Amazon um, hmm. yeah this is one of those cases that's been going on forever as it says here in the article eight year legal battle it, it kind of reminds me of IBM versus SCO back in the day of yeah over yeah. Linux or Unix related stuff, it, it's gotten lost in the midst of time. But that one also took like five to ten years to finally. Well, Apple and Microsoft went back and forth for many years too. Right? Or no, sorry, Apple and IBM went back and forth for many years, right? Over mm-hmm. the, I, I think I remember, I remember hearing once that uh, IBM brought in a big stack of patents, and the top of the patent was the return key, the concept of hitting a, a bar and having the line move up. Like, and it was from the old typewriter days, right? So interesting stuff. Speaking of typewriters, did you guys hear about Remington? No, like the ones who make the guns yeah those guys yeah <laughs> apparently they're filing for bankruptcy too hmm. what does that have to do with typewriters that one went over well because because back in the day um i guess around i guess turn of the century the other century um remington was one of the makers of typewriters and you know they were the gun manufacturers too but they were also uh, typewriter makers so a remington typewriter was quite the thing to have at, at one point in time i could see that right? because the the mechanical levers and everything that you would have and the, like and like the, the hammer manufacturing yeah, yeah. and the and the typewriter arm like that, that kind of makes sense yeah no. anyway so just speaking of typewriters and guns and all that stuff right Anywho, yeah they, they as part of they said was part of the article was saying it was in the stars today i was reading today that um or yesterday i guess that um again it's similar to what we were talking about with our story about gibson from the uh the after show a couple of weeks ago same sort of deal whether you know they're expected to pay a large sum of money which they're not going to be able to do based on their annual income and and they were claiming that you know the the bad press from all the about the guns and all that kind of stuff lately hasn't helped right so right right yeah anyway yeah lawsuits all over the place bankruptcies who knows who knows um yeah so it'd be interesting to see what happens with this this the fallout from this thing but i i kind of wonder too is it just not going to go back into appeal and and the next judge will make a ruling in google's favor what do you think i think only the heat death of the universe will end this particular lawsuit (laughs) (laughs) right okay yeah because i think it's in everybody's best interest to keep fighting it right (laughs) go back in for another round yeah, anyway. and and both sides have very deep pockets, so there 
there's there's little other than maybe you get lucky and there's a, a gentleman's agreement at some point if you get the right parties in, involved. Sure, sure. Yeah. So in case you didn't know, um, yesterday Apple had a big, it was Tuesday, right? Yeah, they had a big uh, event, which they're calling the Apple Education Event. And it's been a few years since they had their last one. Um, but I, again, I think that the main gist of this was all around the um, emphasis on Apple in education, um, maybe to take on a bit of the Chromebook um, adoption in, in schools. And they brought out some new tools and they also brought out, uh, and I think they're um, also into the whole, you know, everybody can code kind of thing as well. So did you guys uh, catch any of this stuff? Or, I mean, we got this article here with the main five things from The Verge as well. But what'd you catch from it? Well, the new iPad's interesting. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a little bit of a low power one, but I guess that makes sense for education because it's meant to be a lower price. Uh, I'm I'm actually in the market for a new iPad. I don't think I'll get this one. I, I do want to wait and see whether there's going to be a Face ID, no home button iPad coming out sometime soon. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I think it's cool that this iPad, I mean, like you said, it's a 9.7 inch iPad, but the fact that it supports a pencil is, is I think that's, that's an amazing piece. That is yeah, very amazing piece. Yeah. 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 And I think for consumers, it's an extra, what, $30, $40? $30? Because um, educational cost is $299 US, but for the rest of us, it's $399, $329, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and it hasn't gone up in price, but yeah, for and a $99 pencil, which is $120 in Canada. But um, yeah, that that's a, a cool, um, cool ability to be able to, because then you can download all the creative apps and stuff like that. So when you say it's less power, do you mean because it's got a, a, a slower chip or something or doesn't have promotion and a few other things like that, right? Yeah, it's not, the pro, the, it's not just not the pro version. Right, yeah. yeah. Some uh, questions have come up uh, around that because, um, let me see here, let me let me grab a link and then I'll post it in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Yeah, Serenity Caldwell did a good good uh, answer, real quick answer on whether what the difference between this and a pro is, right? Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't see that one. What I'm linking here is a breakdown, a table about mm, oh, okay. about halfway yeah. through the article of iPad versus iPad Pro, um, and the changes that I see different: uh, 9.7 inch versus 10.5 inch uh, resolution. Of course, differs because of that. Um, the front camera is 1.2 megapixel versus 7 right, megapixel. Yeah. Rear oh, really? camera wow. 8 versus 12 with optical image stabilization. Um, if you care about the smart connector, you're going to want to go with the Pro. Processor is an A10 versus an A10X. Right. Uh, okay. Storage options vary uh, 32 and 128 versus 64, 256, and 512 gigabytes. The pricing, of course, varies. Um, the display piece, uh, like the, the faster refresh rate, the 120 hertz versus and true tone display. And I think the iPad Pro uses the uh, laminated display for uh, its piece where it doesn't feel like there's like a gap, like an air gap between the display and the touchscreen itself. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's not yeah. listed here, but somebody mentioned in the in the comments for this Verge article that I believe it's like twice as much RAM for the iPad Pro versus the um, the March 2018 iPad. Yeah, it says here 32 in your in your table. It's got 32, 128 versus 64, 256, and 512. The other thing too that and it's badly named, but the promotion, you know, the thing that they added last year. Yes, it uh, makes it very hard to promote. Ironically enough, <laughs> but yeah, so that has something to do with the refresh or the refresh speed on the the device i believe something to do with something to do with that like i think the lagginess in terms of like um latency maybe when you're when you're drawing on it with a pencil so that's something that uh they improved with this promotion thing not that they're trying to promote it <laughs> yeah I, I think it to me right like if you're the kind of person who's listening to this very show yeah i think disproportionately our kind of audience is going to want the pro uh, for, for probably very similar mark hasn't even stated his reasons but probably for very similar reasons as to marks right and i 
have a pro yeah. and you know if i was in the market for a new ipad i probably would not get this one that's on the lower end but that's not to say it's a bad device because it's absolutely not right like we we went through and we dinged on a lot of things here for like how it differs but it's a pretty big jump in price right you're talking on the low end 329 versus 649 so it's like right, really it's double huge. the price yeah. so the fact that uh, apple pencil support is now uh, moving downwards in the the product line i think is great because you know that'll just make it so that more people can enjoy that and you don't necessarily have to get you know a pro and i think it's sort of like the same sort of setup we've seen where there's questions like well what does it really even mean to have an iMac pro and what does it even mean to have a mac pro that's beefier than that and i think it's sort of because like well the the baseline models are getting better and better for most people and that's not to say that most people are even people who tend to listen to this kind of show right because we we tend to be uh technologists we tend to be developers we tend to be um you know more in the arts space but for hey you know i sure would like to watch netflix on this do email do you know a little bit of lightweight video and maybe i might want to do some art you know vaguely artistic things but not like holy smokes i'm going to make something that would go into louvre one day i think the the new baseline ipad that march 2018 that they just announced i think it's a pretty good option for that yeah no i think you're right yeah and certainly for students uh, it's a it's a great option yeah for sure yeah 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 i mean if you're if you want to get i was looking at i just found an article here from i'm more that they compare the pros to the the, the ipad they just announced here um and so it's like a10 fusion chip with two gigs of ram whereas the ipad pro is an a10x with four gigs of ram dedicated so that's a big thing as well mm-hmm. um what else is there so pencil support's cool yeah so and there's gpu metal gpu is different in these two devices as well so yeah oh and then display yeah the laminated display the p3 wide color gamut uh in the pro the true tone like you mentioned before oh yeah so promotion uh which can dynamically adjust between oh this is the one that dynamically adjusts between 120 hertz and as little as 24 hertz the promotion that's what promotion does yeah but like you said if you're if you're looking for like you know if i'm looking for an ipad to sit on the couch and you know check watch tv and maybe do a little doodle here and there this this might be an ideal uh, little device right as opposed to the pro guy right yeah i mean it's not the top of the line model but that that gap between the two has has shifted right it's not quite as obvious a gap so i think people who have to evaluate what their particular needs are yeah i mean like i can tell you like from personal experience like i, I think i've i think i mentioned on the show before that i've gone through 17 or so ipads in my lifetime right um and i, I mean when they first came out you know I, I had the cellular one but then i also had one that was just like a, a, you know a little 128 you know or whatever the minimum memory was i forget what it was 16 meg or whatever that was just wi-fi and that was just for you know doing tests on and just sitting on the couch and farting around with one right so um at you know at some at some sometimes i've had like two or three ipads in the house at the time I mean, we have two now we have two pros but um only because it makes sense to have a pro right now um yeah so i i, I don't see if if you're if you're on a fixed budget and you just need something to tootle around with and you're interested in using a pencil more power to you i mean this is a great it's like like you know it's if as a, as an artist if i'm buying a sketchbook i'm just want to buy a book i can doodle in as opposed to just you know a fancy you know high quality you know bonded paper blah 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 you know like acid free archival quality yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. i just want to doodle in my pencil on the subway you know i don't want to you know i don't want to have to like you know and if i lose it who cares kind of thing right sort of thing but uh, not that you want to lose an ipad but <laughs> still you know at half the price practically right um the other the other thing that we didn't talk about too is and we as part of the show was that um that the announced yesterday was that logitech has now come out with a cheaper version of the pencil but they're calling it the crayon um i don't know that there's anything specifically different about it but uh, i think it has the same sort of functionality and features as as the 
uh, pencil, right? Anybody follow up on that? Yeah, I'd be kind of curious, Mark. I'm hoping that you have like a better sense of this because I only saw a recap of the event. I was unfortunately unable to watch um, the live event. Oh, it actually wasn't kept... live streamed. Oh, it wasn't? Okay, so so I only saw a recap. I didn't see like a full hour-long video or anything. I was slightly less clear on the difference between the Logitech crayon stylus versus the pencil. It, it sounded like, uh, well, one, like the crayon is physically smaller and a little bit like thicker and like, you know, more adapted for children's hands and their dexterity. It's less expensive, of course. It sounds like it's probably a little bit less capable in terms of like response time that you would have for uh, like responsiveness. Like how accurate does it represent like as if you were using a uh, pen and paper sort of thing. But I was, I was a little less clear, like on the selling point other than like, holy smokes, it's like half the price of a pencil. Yeah, it's still yeah. 50 bucks. <laughs> well, I think our resident uh, pencil using artist uh, should have to give it a try and let us know. Yeah, yeah I'll give I'll, I'll, I'll grab one to give it a give it a kick kick the curb with it. Yep. Um, I I did watch the whole video because you know, education is something that I'm interested in as well, and so I can just run, do a quick rundown on what I remember from seeing the, sh- the the yeah. So one of the things that they talked about. So you remember they came up with an i a digital uh, iBook Maker um, app for uh, the Mac um, where you can make the interactive books, you know, like the science books or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I, I think I have a copy of it here actually now I think about it um, but they've now rolled that into pages right um, so pages uh, now can do the digital book creation now, let me just get the name of this product here from my applications folder it is called drumroll please iBook something or other alphabetical right I, yeah, oh iBooks author is what the name of the product was and it was for creating these dynamic um, you know iBooks uh, where you could have video and interactive pieces you know you wouldn't have to be necessarily a developer to build these things you could build them right in in this tool well they've now rolled that into pages but not just pages on the mac but also pages on the ios device so now you can actually create interactive ibooks on an ipad which is kind of cool um the other thing too uh, there was a bit a lot of stuff about this uh, i think i mentioned um when i was talking about the business side of um managing devices we talked about this on the show before where where uh, they have a classroom kind of experience where um stu- uh, and now there's there's a tool a bunch of tools for teachers uh, where they can have their entire classroom uh, group of students. They give them like you know each individual um, Apple IDs, and then they use those to register to participate in exercises. Teachers can assign them work and that kind of stuff. But they can then go to a cart and pick up any iPad on the cart, and they'll see all you know thirty students on the like little icons on the screen. So it's like a multi-user iPad, and you tap on your like you type on your Jaime uh, icon, and it, and basically the the iPad would then become Jaime's iPad for the day and basically would download your work from iCloud and you would you know continue to work and whatever when you're done it saves all your stuff back to iCloud and then it goes back on the cart and then the next day you know Johnny or Susie can pick it up and use the same iPad but it's like having multiple user accounts on the same device but it's all sort of managed through this classroom kind of um, software that Apple's providing and as well they're giving each student they've up they, they gave them last year uh, or a couple of years ago I guess five gigs of free iCloud space but now they've upped that to 200 gigabytes of iPad space for free so um, teachers have uh, some new tools available for them to help them with uh, teaching and, and they've got this sort of they have this way of teaching the teachers and giving them badges so, so the teachers can actually also earn badges in, ter- in terms of going through the Apple education program so they've invested quite a bit in terms of uh, making it easier for teachers and students to you know uh, deal with the work of, of school work right so which is kind of 
kind of cool. Anyway, there was a, so if you're interested in that, I definitely say uh, watch the video if you're into education. Um, and they ended the sort of talk with uh, this everyone can code kind of idea where Apple's trying to promote, you know, teachers. They've got tools for teachers to learn how to teach coding. They've got, you know, exercises for students to do coding. Um, as well, they gave a huge shout out to a number of uh, coding um, programs that are out there like we all know about. Uh, in particular, Women Who Code and App Camp for Girls also got shouted out by uh, on this big slide uh, that uh, Tim Cook presented. So I know Jean, Jean McDonald was uh, happy to see uh, their name uh, shouted out on this uh, on this thing. So that's kind of cool. Like, you know, and again, Apple getting behind the everybody can code kind of idea uh, to take uh, coding to the, uh, to the rest of the world, as it were, right? That's yeah, so that was pretty neat. Yeah. Actually, the name of the new app is called Schoolwork that, uh, for teachers and students to manage their classrooms and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's kind of cool to see, like, you know, we've all sort of wondered, like, when are we going to get these multi-user accounts on on, uh, on iPad? Unfortunately, it's only still available for schools. But <laughs> anyway, Yeah, that so. was something a lot of my friends with kids talked about, like, oh, wow, like, I mean, I'm not going to administer assignments to my kids, but it sure would be nice if I could administer my whole family's iPads and just make <laughs> yeah. it less of a yeah. pain. You just have to register as a homeschool and then... And get Apple to give you this uh, this school uh, what's it called school work yeah school work app right <laughs> yeah that's the little life hack there yeah and then get yourself a, a cart so you can charge all your iPads overnight and that kind of stuff right we actually literally have a bread box here at home we have an old bread box and that's where we uh, we have all our chargers all sort of stuck in there and so you know you'll find iPads sticking out of the bread box upstairs you know so if we ever play the game is it bigger than a bread box you don't get the reference no. you can take one over there and, <laughs> and verify. <laughs> My iPad Pro is bigger than a bread box. Let's put it that way. It <laughs> doesn't fit inside. Uh, yeah. So anything else about the event? I think that's what I recall as well, seeing um, for the highlights. Um, people got excited you know, outside of the education sphere about the iCloud account being 200 gigabytes free. Because but that, Is that for everybody or just for the students? So what was announced there was just for students, but it made people wonder, hmm, I wonder if they'll announce something either at, at DubDub or... Oh, maybe. You know, Maybe. later this this fall for everybody because right now it's five gigs free. You have a fifty gig plan for ninety nine cents a month. You have a two hundred gig plan, which is the one that they just gave for free for students at uh, cannot recognize this seven ninety nine. Uh, sorry, two ninety nine, two ninety nine a month, and that's family shareable. And then the premium one is two terabytes for nine ninety nine wow. a month. That's yeah, also yeah. shareable. Yeah, we have the two hundred um, gigabyte plan between Carol and myself for all of our stuff. Yeah, yeah I sure would appreciate it going up to two hundred. Um, yeah, for free, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Didn't Apple build some big giant data center in somewhere in the States recently over the years, I guess? They did just have one that, that came out. Where was... I do not remember. I'll have to look that up. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess we're... Uh, oh, do we have anything else to say here? Or are we at uh, Picorama? Is it Picorama time? I've lost my page. Yeah, I think so. All right. Um, it's amazing how fast we go when we don't bash Apple throughout the whole, pro- whole podcast. <laughs> it, was a mu- it was a much happier one. And it's it's funny because <laughs> most of everything we just talked about, odds are pretty good. We're not going to benefit from that personally, right? Like I'm yeah, not a student. Yeah. I don't have kids who will be using us in their school. Yet. Um, 
Right. Well, so so the elephant in the room is is the Google Chromebook. I think I, I saw a quick uh, note here in one of the articles I was reading about the Chromebook because I, th- I think Apple or sorry Google has got a, f- a leg hold in on Apple in that in that sense. What do you think? Well, it's it's I certainly mean, a cheaper thing. Uh, it, it it really just depends on which ecosystem you're you're hooked into. Uh, if right, right. using the Google you know web based uh, ecosystem, then yeah, Chromebooks make a lot of sense. But if you prefer the you know, the app based ecosystem of Apple, then then the iPad may the right way to go. Well, and and one thing they did take a minute to talk about was privacy too, right? I mean, yeah. I think there's been a question. I mean, I, I really don't think about it, but I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Uh, the questions about Google and privacy, like uh, I, I've heard people telling me that they're turning off their Google Home devices because they're concerned that Google's always listening kind of thing, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I know that Apple, in the terms of their privacy stuff, they, they don't try, they do not Take personal information and if they if you know to the to the cloud right like like your touch ID and your face ID they stay on your device they don't they never get up sent up to Apple for whatever, for any reason right so interestingly enough uh, Tim Cook did a town hall with MSNBC right yeah uh, Kara Swisher I think and and uh, one of the one of the anchors from MSNBC and this exact topic came up and, and and Tim Cook specifically said they don't believe in the concept of building this profile of person even if it's sort of supposedly an but where this profile knows everything about you and can target stuff to you specifically, which is exactly what the, the Google and Facebook businesses do. Right, yeah. Apple yeah. does not believe in that, and they, and they choose not to do that. Right, yeah. Uh, my favorite comment was when they sort of said, what would you do, what would you have done if you got into the same position as, say, Mark Zuckerberg? Right. Um, and he just sort of said, "We, I wouldn't be in that position. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good sick burn. I, I, I liked that one. Um, yeah. It's been interesting because the whole Cambridge Analytica and Facebook data kerfuffle has sort of been a really good opportunity to throw data collection practices like under, under the, the bus, bus. Yeah, yeah, right that yeah. like it's it's gone a little too far and there are unfortunate um ramifications because of that and it's it's certainly causing facebook to to reconsider i saw news today on on the verge that they're temporarily halting adding new apps to the facebook platform they're wow. cutting off some sort of third-party data collection thing um that i think was being used by stuff like equifax for like to, to to help bridge the gap between, you know, something like a Facebook or a Google and Amazon, they'll know a whole lot about your digital life, but they have, you know, and maybe even know about your uh, credit card spending, but they have no idea, you know, what you're doing when you walk into a Tim Hortons and you pay with cash or you pay with your, you know, Tim Hortons rewards card, your Starbucks rewards card, you know, all these other like offline things that are not immediately obvious, bridging the gap and trying to figure out who those people are. Like that's where stuff like what Equifax had. And, and, and there are many others. I don't mean to just pick on them, um, that part is starting to get segmented off. And so where there are digital agencies that are getting kind of flushed out as part of this, because like they sort of built their whole thing around like, hey, we'll help you build these marketing and advertising packages that can find you from womb to tomb, as they might say, right? And so it's definitely a, a reckoning for that sort of thing where Apple really doesn't get hurt by that because, you know, we mentioned the fact that they try to avoid the, um, you know, analytics and, and information about you profile. They even mentioned that on the education piece, or at least the piece that I saw that was recapped there uh, you can enroll like 1500 students in like a few minutes or something they all get apple ids yeah exactly yeah. but then it was like oh apple doesn't even see this right like they literally have no information about those students that's how right. far yeah. they went with this classroom environment and privacy so it's pretty interesting to see that different perspective yeah i mean like why would you why would you store it if you don't need to I mean, there's no there's no benefit to it, it, it's, it you kind of got me worried now because i know i've just installed the new tim hortons app on my phone <laughs> so now that they, they know what kind of muffin i like and 
you know. And Starbucks is, Starbucks can raise the price of caramel because I order caramel macchiato all the time. I'm sure the particular donut you get on Thursday afternoon tells them something about your political preferences, your fetishes, right, vote for. Yeah, exactly, your hopes yeah. and dreams. You know, I'm sure with enough data like that. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, let's do some picks, man. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go first. Um, so yeah, as I think I've mentioned on the show, I'm, I'm fascinated with uh, music and music apps and stuff like that. And, and I've always wanted to buy a mini Moog and they're really expensive. So they're like, you know, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars sometimes to buy a, a, a decent Moog, especially in a vintage one. Um, as Moog came out with uh, Moog or Moog, however you like to say it, came out with um, uh, a newer model of the Model D, which is the classic uh, wooden uh, sided uh, Moog that uh, analog synthesizer people have been playing for years. Uh, well, they just released an app for the um, iPad and it's four ninety nine, and I downloaded it immediately and started playing with it. And oh, it runs on iPhone too. Cool, um, iPhone and iPad, and yeah, it's literally just like a Moog synthesizer. All the all the sounds and oscillators that you normally would expect to hear in a Moog. Um, all the presets and some some um, ready made sounds are already in it. But yeah, you can you can mess around on this just like you would with an actual real live Moog, and it's going to cost you you know tens of thousands of dollars less to run it on your iPad. So, yeah, I recommend the 12-inch iPad model, of course, because you get more 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 synthesizer for your buck. <laughs> but, yeah, that's my pick, uh, the, Moog, the Moog, Mini Moog Model D from Moog Music Incorporated. That's my first pick. Do you get do you get more keys on a larger iPad, or just are they just bigger keys? They're Probably bigger keys. Bigger. They're not, they're not, yeah. they're not like, they're not, uh, they're not the size of an actual Moog. Like, uh, I, don't, I haven't found a, a, a mode yet where the keyboard, key, keyboard actually gets larger. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of modes where you, there's an open, there's a play mode and a, and a sort of program mode, um, and the the display changes. So I think the keys get a bit bigger. But if you there's a slider, so if you want to get the full octave range of uh, keys, you can actually just slide back and forth. And I don't know if that was on the actual Moog itself, but um, you can get you know the full 88 keys up and down by just by just using a gesture to, to as you're playing to move. Does it, it use any kind of haptics on the on the keys to make it more? You know what? I feel? don't know. I hadn't I hadn't really dug into that 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 closely yeah that's a good question um but but and, and analog synthesizers are basically you know one note at a time and i did find that it did seem to have some polyphonic behavior which was uh, unusual for this kind of device right let me switch to ipad um, and of course there's some in-app purchases you can buy different sounds but you know why would you <laughs> oh yeah so yeah i think when you're in the play mode the um the uh the keys themselves get bigger like they move they, they enlarge on the screen so you can actually mash them easier right so yeah that is the Moog. it's pretty cool so you'd think i would be really excited about the Moog, but I'm even more excited about Charles Proxy for iOS. I think it was my pick a couple of weeks ago, but it's now actually on the App Store, and I think it's at this is probably the cheapest piece of cheapest price I could think of. Eleven ninety nine, mind you, that might be Canadian. I don't know if it's on American. Same price, but on the American App Store. Okay, so it's it's. I think it was a bit more, probably like fifteen dollars by the time I bought. Yeah, but I mean, like there was no question. I'm putting this on my phone right now. So as soon as I saw this one, um, I played around with it at work today uh, as well at home and uh you it's super simple to set up you uh you basically fire
fire it up, uh, turn on proxy, it wants to install Charles proxy root certificate, and then you have to go into the general settings and, and uh, um, tr- turn the trust on for it. Uh, and then, yeah, then you're, and you designate which uh, sites you want to um, have it uh, do the, the decryption for. So basically, you can do SSL proxying as well as uh, regular proxying. So if you have, like most sites these days are using, you know, HTTPS or uh, TLS and that kind of stuff for traffic. So obviously the, the traffic going to and from the device is encrypted. But if you need to debug your calls in your app, um, this is like, trust me, $11.99 is, is nothing to pay for this this convenience to be able to, to uh, debug your API calls, stuff like that, directly on the device. Without, so now without having to do internet sharing and that kind of stuff, you can do it right on the actual phone. And of course, you know, once you've got, once you've captured the logs and recorded them, you can actually share them. You can either do screenshots or you can just, you know, uh, use a share sheet and just send them out by, by text or email uh, to your EQA people or whoever needs to see the calls, services guys. Um, yeah, and it gives you all kinds of different other metadata about the uh, the call, the method, the response, you know, whether you got little type of HTTP response you got, uh, what, you know, things were being used, whether it's TLS 1.2 or 1.1, what kind of you know, AES encryption was on there, that kind of stuff. So, mm. yeah, definitely recommend um, Charles Proxy for uh, debugging your web calls on your iOS devices. Real-time follow-up, it's actually eight ninety nine on the U.S. store. I was oh, okay. at the okay. Canadian store without even knowing it. Well, cool. there you go. So, yeah, it's a bargain at half the price. Yes. Stop the podcast. Go buy it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I was actually pretty cynical that this would make it through App Store Review. Um, apparently, yeah. my cynicism was misplaced because of that. There's no way Apple's going to let them do this. And this will end up just being like, you know, somebody's GitHub repo and everybody like goes and downloads their own copy. And I'm impressed that they're able to do this because it's not only convenient for like on the go, but I think if I'm not mistaken, it lets you do uh, mobile network traffic stuff. So yeah, it, course, you're, yeah. you're not stuck with, well, I have to turn my, you know, my um, MacBook into like a hotspot and, and tether through there sort of things. So, you know, you can do it right from whatever your provider might be, whether it's Rogers or AT&T or what have you. Yeah. You know, it takes, it takes a, it creates a local VPN connection on your device, but, but it takes um, your security away from like, like, like there's a security issue if you have your Mac set up as a hotspot, like you said, right? Because then, then then you're proxying through that. So the traffic can be captured um, between the two devices, right? So this way, it's like just on the single device itself. I'm not saying go to Starbucks and do this, right? Definitely not. <laughs> right. But, but you know, like if you're if you're in-house and you and you need to test, you know, on physical devices, I mean, because one, you know, as we all know, there's different case, you know, sensitivities between devices and, and simulators and, and simulators just aren't aren't real world sort of tests, right? I think you talked about smoke testing in your in your uh, your talk the other day, but mm-hmm. you, sometimes you, you need to do a smoke test. You need to figure out what what is what is wrong with the call. You know what's wrong with my my why is the JSON not parsing? Well, maybe the object's incorrect, or, or I'm getting a failure somewhere, and I'm not checking for that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when you, anytime you're doing with any kind of security, you want to make sure you're using you know nonce values, or or you're using some sort of key to identify that you know it's not just any device connecting to this, and you want to prevent man in the middle of stuff. You want to basically make sure you're verifying your calls and stuff like that back and forth. You don't want to you know, be doing this loosey-goosey, but but this is just another tool in your toolbox, your arsenal that uh, so, you can do so stuff with. So how does it actually work in practice? If you're trying to debug a request from a from an app, say, that you're developing, yeah. then how do you have the proxy open at the same time to, to intercept that request or the response? Well, like I said, it creates a VPN on the uh, a VPN connection on, the, on your iOS device. Yeah. So your um, 
it's capturing it and then and then turning it into a VP, running it through the VPN piece, and that, I believe that's where it's being decoded or decrypted. So you uh, so within, within the app, practice, yeah. Then you run your app, you do you do your request, and then you switch over to that one, and you can see the results. Is that how? Yeah. So so you go into in practice, you go into Charles Proxy, you turn on turn on the proxying, right, mm-hmm. which fires up a VPN connection inside the phone, mm-hmm. and then you know, of course, you've already you've already set up your your uh, your root certificate if you have, and it prompts you to do it, and it tells you to go to settings and do the trust thing as well. Uh, so you have to install the certificate first, and then you have to you have to trust it, and then uh, yeah, any any website that you hit uh, or any API you know endpoint that you hit, it will record it will show it in a list, and you p- you click on that that particular endpoint that server, and you enable the proxying for just that that server, and you can filter too, like you can say I just want to see you know my you know my itguy.com uh, endpoint right and then it'll, then that's the only traffic you'll see in the device and then you click on that particular endpoint and then uh, and you can stop it at any point in time like the, the the it records the the call and then you go into that recall you'll see the request you'll see the all the parameters about the the type of call um, you're making and you can go in and um, you could look at the, re- the request and see how it's formatted you can look at the response and see what the response back from the server is so I see so you so you do all that th- from the the Charles app itself you don't from the Charles app you yeah, don't yeah, do yeah. it from your own app and have Charles intercept it. no 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 okay no. so you so you don't do any you don't make any modifications to your app or your phone other than turning enabling installing these certificates and turning on the VPN right yeah um, yeah and you know if you even if you don't I mean if you don't turn on the, the proxying you'll see all the gobbledygook you know uh, that that uh, the obfuscated you know um, code right um, in the call there's a couple of screenshots here on the, on the website which look pretty pretty uh, similar to what you would expect to see on your device right so yeah I mean I, I use Charles all the time on my on my um, my Mac when I want to um, debug using internet sharing mm-hmm. but now now I don't have to do it on the internet sharing which is another security hole right so mm-hmm. yeah pretty cool and it's and it's, it's also isolated with inside the app right so yeah I mean and again don't publish to this to the don't publish your screenshots to live sites and stuff like that if you want to keep this stuff private but yeah anytime you're anytime you're talking to an external device I mean you I'm sure you guys probably are thinking of 27 different ways you do this now right so yeah it's definitely a decent tool anyway that's my pick Charles Proxy for iOS Jaime you have one for us I do um, as of this recording there is a public beta for git tower git tower is a visual git client um, that I happen to use right and it's it's swell. Um, to be clear, I also use the command line. In fact, I prefer to use the command line for about half of my sort of daily tasks that I do. There are some things that are much nicer to have visual management for, like you know, viewing the the diff of you know what exactly did I change before I commit this code, or right, yeah, uh, managing like the list of stashes because I will have little sort of like prototype code or maybe some sort of like snippet for okay when I want to debug this sort of problem. You know, I don't really want to have stuff like hanging around in the code. It's really more like a quick and dirty hack that I have. Um, pull that out of the list, and it's maybe some arbitrary spot. It's not the most recent one. It might be one from like three months back. Apply those changes, check to see how things are going, and then move on with my life. So that's sort of where I end up using Git Tower, the visual client. Um, they've got some pretty cool looking features here. I think probably the the juiciest ones are uh, pull requests. So being able to create pull requests for GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket directly from the client instead of having to you know go to the respective web interface for those. Like a land um, mole? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, interactive rebase looks really cool. So rebasing is one of those things that's 
I've never been super happy with the way that works on the command line. So I'm definitely interested in trying to see how, you know, sort of fixing up your commits and, and changing some of the history stuff will work uh, visually. Cause at least the little animated GIF here makes it look really swell. And I think another thing that I really like is the, um, the improvement to the commit details. So it's all the way at the bottom. Like it's kind of hard to tell again, like on an audio only podcast. And if you're not familiar with the current get client, like the subtle changes they made for how are they representing files on one hand versus what changed within those files. So you can sort of inspect the differences is pretty nice. So all in all, I think it's, uh, it's looking pretty spiffy. I'll probably up, what is this version like three or something? Uh, I'll probably update at some point here and kind of don't prefer being on the bleeding edge for, uh, for company things, but right. for personal stuff, I'm, I'm more willing to take risk on, on that. So I think that's something that I'll, I'll end up doing. And when it goes you know, to full production, we'll upgrade our license or something. So uh, I think it's something people should check out. So do you currently use Tower or no? I do use Tower. Yeah. And how did, have you, you have you used Source Tree? Are you, are you familiar with that at all? Or Yes. Source Tree from Atlassian, the um, free alternative. So that's, that's pretty nice. Um, I never could wrap my head around the way that Source Tree likes to organize things. Mm-hmm. And so I tended to use it predominantly for the visual diff and being able to uh, stage chunks of code versus like, okay, commit this whole, um, this whole file. Right. And I'd yeah, be yeah. like, well, these pieces are where I modified the view controller. So I'm going to commit those as one logical chunk, just those like three different lines, maybe from three different spots in the file. And then I'll commit the rest as a different commit. You know, that, that's sort of why I like using visual things like um, source tree, as you mentioned, or Git tower, smart Git I've used in right, the past. Yeah. Just for whatever reason, the, the layout of Git tower just really clicks with my brain. So I'm not too religious about it. Like if you have your own preference and whatever meets, you know, like the way you like to organize and how you understand Git, I say go for it. And if that means the command line, that's cool too. I kind of mix and match both. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Just on a side side note here, I, I updated my source tree to the latest version the other day on at home. And it turned out what, so I think when I registered my source tree account, I used one of my throwaway me emails, which is like, I, I use it so often, it might as well be my permanent email address, but um, I use it for registering software and stuff like that. And, um, but my identity on, on Bitbucket is different than than uh, the one associated with this email address, right? So as soon as I did that, I, I keep getting these prompts coming up asking me to put in my password over and over again. So I don't know if I should just go back to the older version or not, but it's kind of like the, the certificates are all out of whack, you know? So I wonder if my uh, my Git config email address is my real email address. That may be what the problem is, right? Oh, that could be. I've had that problem before. Yeah. So now they're all getting, now that, you know, Bitbucket and Git and all those kind of places are getting into two-factor authentication and making sure that you're using an email address as a username instead of a username sort of thing. So I'll have to contact them and say, okay, how do I merge these two accounts together? Because <laughs> clearly yeah. they're, not, they're not connected. Weird stuff. Anyway, that's cool. Git Tower. I've heard of uh, Git Tower before. I haven't really played with it much. Is it a paid app? It is. So that's an interesting question you asked there. So right now uh, you can download a trial, a free trial for 30 days, all features. If you are getting a new license, as of this recording, it is $79. I think that's US. Presumably they've That's a perpetual license? Um, I believe so. It's not like a yearly subscription. I believe it is just a, oh, you bought Git Tower too. Congratulations. Um, they've also got right. an upgrade license for $39.50 if you bought Tower 1 on or after June 1st, 2014. And cool. I'm not entirely certain what you will see, but I'm assuming they've localized it for US market here because the company is based in Germany. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah, this mo- is also available for Mac and Windows. Most offers for us are are, are sold to us in US dollars. It's, very, it's only Apple and places like that that do the conversion, you know? Right. As an aside, uh, completely unrelated, um, 
my one password subscription uh, payment went through recently and yeah it uh, it triggered an alert i have on my credit card for transactions outside of the 50 united states oh really so of course i wake up the morning I'm like what the hell is going on and, you know and, and they're from like the toronto area so it's like three hours ahead i'm like what the hell happened at like 6 a oh oh okay yes that makes sense a charge from toronto canada yep makes sense oh do you pay like annually kind of thing yes okay cool yeah and then it had a delightful little uh, through my credit card a uh, uh, international processing fee or something oh nice bonus yeah yeah welcome yeah. to canada <laughs> <laughs> we get those on every single one of our fees right <laughs> yeah you get you get the foreign exchange little icon that shows you know you paid so much in canadian dollars for something in american yep yeah i think the worst i had of this was it's probably the last time i went to ns north where my credit card got locked down because of suspicious behavior because why would somebody oh, yeah. in seattle make a purchase through the ontario area yeah why would somebody from seattle go to tim hortons for coffee seriously (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully like real actual fraud threats will will be blocked as well and it's not just an inconvenience to me trying to legitimately use my card yeah yeah well you never know yeah all right well i guess that's it for the week again so jaime if people want to find you on the interwebs where would they look i'm on twitter as at dev with a hair all right hey and mark if people want to get in touch with you i'm at mark r at smapsoft.com all right and it's at the top of the show. I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitcher machine. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash MTJC. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, you know, speaking of, of computers, um, lately my computer's been really weird, and I thought it was maybe something to do with High Sierra, but for some reason, I was like, my my computer would be at like 60% battery, and then it would just shut down, like from sitting on the couch or whatever, and, and I thought, because I always have a, I have an extra adapter over there, so I'd, I'm always usually plugged in, but I just, you know, I remember remember the, the computer, I used to be able to work for two or three hours at a time without having to worry about power, mm. and it was new, and this is a 2013 MacBook Air. Anyway, so I was looking at it, and I don't know if I'd noticed this before, but in, in High Sierra, it sort of gives you a status of your battery, right? Like if you look at, if you click on your battery and you're, and you have like an original Apple, Apple OEM battery, um, it'll give you like a status, like, you know, what the, what the condition of it is, like sort of like the smart thing on the hard drives. Anyway, I looked at mine and it said service like immediately or service now it said. Yeah. Yeah. Mine says service service battery as well. Does it? Oh, that's Mm -hmm. not good. That's not good. So, so what that, what that basically means is you are beyond uh, conditioning. Like you can't just go in and condition the battery. 
battery and have it recover. You need to now, like according to Apple's website, you need to, to go to an Apple um, service center and spend 160 bucks or whatever and get a new battery, put in your machine, right? Well, this may be in response to the controversy over the over the conditioning, right? Before, they might have just conditioned it. And since people were complaining about that, they now have this yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because I, I don't know when this, because I, I Googled it and, of course, I found an Apple page about it. Anyway, so I just went to Amazon and bought like a $79 battery. Like there's a bunch of third-party batteries for these things. I mean, you know, I didn't want to spend like 200 I mean, I suppose I could have spent 200 bucks if that was my only option. But, um, yeah, I just spent, you know, it took me like five minutes to, you know, unscrew it and put a new battery and put the new battery in. And it was pretty straightforward, right? But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's check your battery, folks, if you're, <laughs> those of you driving at home, <laughs> check your battery. Yeah, mine, mine did that too where – so I've got a, a 2012 MacBook Pro and it's uh, – what was it at? It was like at 55 to 58 percentage is what I remember seeing before it decided to to go out on me. I was like, oh, maybe it couldn't hold the charge that it needed at that point. Yeah, but it literally yeah. only did that once. So I must have been doing just enough uh, voltage-wise that it was like, all right, I can't, I can't handle this and I shut down. Uh, very similar to the iPhone thing you guys were talking about. Uh, yeah, when I look yeah. at what the note says, when I click on the helpful little note for my service battery warning, it says service battery. The battery isn't functioning normally and you may or may not notice a change in its behavior or the amount of charge it holds. Take your computer in for service. You can continue yeah. to use your battery before it's checked without harming your computer. I'm going to drive this thing into the ground because I yeah, fully yeah. intend to, to see what Apple comes out with in uh, you know in the fall time frame or, or WWDC if they, right. if they yeah, yeah, do yeah, it early yeah. I'm, and I'm, like buy one of those because I'm clearly like beyond the mileage warnings on this particular device. Yeah, so for me, for me, I'm just going to I'm just going to replace the battery there. But uh, by the way, I think Mark turned Tone Bear on again. <laughs> no, <laughs> Is that why we heard the sound no, no, coming no, no, on? I, Is that you I dropping Mark? I, I Zoom, Zoom dropped me off. I had to reconnect. Yeah. You know, I, mind you, I did the Amazon one day deal, right? So I wasn't, you know, totally stressed because I literally ordered it on Saturday, on Sunday night. And um, Monday when I got home from work, there was a box sitting here. So I just took, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and popped it in. Cause I, I've been in and, out of, in and out of my computer many times under the hood, right? So, so speaking of strange behavior, I had something weird happened yesterday. I had on my MacBook Pro 2017 model, so the you know the touch bar model, I had it hard crash on me yeah. four times. And every single time it was when I was in Xcode and moving to Interface Builder and it would, by hard crash, I mean it would freeze the entire computer. So all I could do was restart four times. Oh, okay. You mean like lock up? Yeah. You're not like, you don't mean like a kernel panic or whatever, right? No. Well, yeah. It would just completely lock up. So I, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't access the finder, couldn't do anything. Yeah. We had we had one of our uh, Macs was doing kernel panics, and hmm. the only the only fix what it was was to replace the whole logic board, and that includes the drive because the drive is uh, part of the logic board now, right? Yeah, it's not it's not a removable piece, so yeah. But interface builder, huh? Uh, how do you feel about those uh, those storyboard child view controllers now? <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. I'm sure it's not that, even but four, even with the four crashes, my productivity is still hugely improved by interface builder. Really? Oh, no doubt. Go. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had an interesting one today. So there was a guy, one of the guys who sits next to me was, you know, the mission control where you get the multiple desktops and stuff like that. And anyway, he's one of these guys that's constantly using, he's always like got the three finger swipe going back and forth. And, and today he like, he nudged me and I look over and his computer was doing like the, the swipe thing just on its own, hmm. just, just sitting there going back and forth and back and forth. I guess it kind of got stuck.
stuck between, like the animation got stuck between, he didn't know which view it was supposed to be showing him. Hmm. So it's kind of a weird, I, I, I captured a video of it because it was kind of funny. I've had that happen to me too. Um, not, not too often because I don't use the trackpad on the MacBook Pro that often. I'm usually using a magic mouse where I've never, never seen it occur, but I have seen that happen if I'm like at a coffee shop and I'm, you know, zooming between different desktops and I was like, oh no, what is it doing? Great. I guess I better hard stop this because it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. So we were talking a couple of weeks ago about magic mice and, and track pa- track pads. I have the magic trackpad too, right? So I don't really do the pinch and zoom and all that kind of stuff that you can do, but but the the magic mouse has a touch surface. Do you do any gestures on the top of it other than scrolling and left and right click or it has limited so you can do um two finger taps, single finger tap. Uh you can go forwards or backwards in history. Like I use this all the time in Xcode if I'm I don't know, looking in an implementation file or I you know, command clicked in Swift to go to like where this actual code is exists, you know, that I've referenced. And then oh okay, I see what it is. Let me go back sort of thing and I'll just swipe with my uh with like my index finger just from uh, from right to left on the mouse. And it'll take so it's left, yeah, it's kinda of like switching between view like like I was just talking about switching between views or browser pages and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, uh, to do that, the switching between different desktops thing, I, oh, I don't have to think about it. I like, here, let me do it right now because I, I just do it naturally. I don't even think about it. Yeah, it's uh, two fingers going left and right. Just depending right. so which we, I, I was just saying, we were, we were talking, I forgot what the context was, but we were talking about gestures. And, and I remember I mentioned something about the Magic Mouse, and I don't think Mark uses one, so no, I use, would know. At home, I yeah. use the uh, ma- the original Magic Trackpad, the silvery silvery one. Right, and at yeah, work, yeah. I use it, the two, which, yeah, the white one. Yeah, yeah, with the force touch, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah that's what I have as well. Cool. Maybe I'll have anyway, to uh, buy a new one soon. Yeah, well, a black one, you mean? Well, we'll get to that yeah, in a minute, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we'll get to that in a minute. Did anybody catch the um, season ten premiere, the two-parter of Roseanne? Oh, I did. Yes, no, I yes. I was it good, Tim? What did you go first? I'm very curious. Well, your response to my hot take on Twitter. So yeah, so um, Roseanne was one of those shows that I didn't go out of my way to watch it back in the day, but I would watch it from time to time. Um, which is why I think we talked about this in this podcast. I was, I was a little confused at one point when they were all rich and I couldn't figure out what happened. Maybe it was a dream or something. Like that um i did like the way they handled uh, the the part where roseanne says to dan you know i thought you were dead <laughs> right and he says why does everybody think i'm dead but anyway um i found it a little i, I don't know maybe maybe i found the acting a little stiff it was almost like they were trying too hard in some cases to, to resurrect these characters that they haven't played in so many other than roseanne she was you know roseanne but mm-hmm. um i don't know i mean I, I, you know there was the, i like the the banter between the two sisters was was I mean in, in, in both generations was was good there but uh, I, I did find it a lot I, I I thought the sort of you know who Roseanne voted for and who um, her sister voted for argument was a bit over the top in a lot of cases some some of his jokes were funny though right but uh, like how's your how's your healthcare doing now right kind of stuff but um, um, I, I I found they it just it seemed a bit odd they were trying a bit too hard in in some cases not all of them I in, mean in, you know the, the actor John Goodman, uh, he was he was pretty good as usual, right? So, what do mm-hmm. you think about it? You're, I mean, you watched it. Did you watch it regularly when you were a kid? I'm not sure if I've seen every episode, but I've probably seen a lot. And, and you're right; it was even back then in the day, it was not like, a, oh wow, you got to like sit there and watch it on whatever day of the week it came out on, like Tuesday, Thursday, or whatever. Um, it wasn't like that Simpsons level of like, oh, got to watch it, or Star Trek: The Next Generation, or other, you know. Um, it's it's sort of in the category of everybody loves Raymond or or The Middle or you know. 
Um, yeah, you, yeah. you, you might have it on in the background. You, yeah. you you watch it if it's on, sort of thing. But you don't change your life around it. You don't have viewing parties, that sort of thing. No, I know. Yeah, and so I think my hot take on on Twitter was, um, it's kind of like old shoes. You know, out no, you know, no longer in style and um, comfortable. Comfortable is what I I, I didn't yeah. come for. Where it's like um, it's like mac and cheese, not like craft mac and cheese. Let's say not really a meal, not legitimately, but you can eat it for a meal. That's not right. good for you right but it yeah. tastes good you know <laughs> it kind of feels like like that to me where uh, i think you're right some of the some of the acting was a little bit stiff potentially because it's been a while since they've had the characters there were good moments that reminded me a lot of the interaction they had on the show before and so that part really helped resonate um i found it kind of interesting the way they took the uh recent presidential election and chose what i thought were pretty sensible choices for each of, of the sisters like which of them who would have voted for who logically especially given that their hometown is in the midwest uh, in a suburb of the right, chicago right, area right. so i was like all right it, it kind of makes sense and it's really just an excuse for the sisters to have been angry at each other and then uh, start reconciling later um i found it interesting that I'd, I'd been speculating on this for a long time of like how do they resolve the fact that this is all supposed to be you know roseanne the entire roseanne show was supposed to be roseanne was just making it up and she took you know, elements from her real life and dan actually died they didn't win the lottery that sort of thing and this is more like the kelvin timeline split and yeah well they had the they had the the, the manuscript at one point did you not see that so yeah yeah like oh like maybe that would have been worth something and, and the joke about you know dan's supposed to be dead why is everything dead and they also had stuff with becky which if becky was not something that the writers like had planned for a long time i feel like this is a really interesting conspiracy theory here because you have becky is the key to the timeline split which was even sort of really the whole Becky actress situation where they had um, I, I don't remember the actress's name but you know Becky Prime and then they had the other Becky actress oh there were two Beckys who, I didn't there, know that yeah yeah, yeah who came out Becky and then there was the Scrubs Becky Scrubs Becky oh and they had the two the Scrubs the show. TV show yeah oh yeah. that's oh I kind of wonder what the connection was there because yeah so so okay I didn't I thought that because the original Becky is the Becky I know the one the one that was in the show most of it one thing just before you get into in, too far into this was mm-hmm. so it was a double episode, but it was actually two episodes shown in one time. And I found that the second episode, or episode two, if you will, was better than episode one right. in, in this one. But anyway, so the second half was better than the first half. But Right. And it had a continuing plot um, segment for, for Becky's sort of arc. And beyond the two Becky actresses, even prior to the show's um, ending you know, years ago, they had a, a sequence where they show what's supposed to be DJ in the future. And right, it's played right. by, by John Goodman. And he just... And he's in, you know, psychiatric, uh, psychiatric help or something where he just keeps saying, they say she's the same, but I know she's not the same. They say she's the same, right, but I know right. she's not the same. Oh, the and it's referencing, it's referencing Becky, right? As like, they claim this person is my, my sister. Obviously, it can't be because it looks like a totally different person. That's like the family guy. Didn't they have two different girls playing the family, the daughter on the family guy? Um, right. So I think Becky, Becky, Becky is the key, Tim. This is my conspiracy oh, theory. Becky. Like, oh, the, the writer, the right. writers had this awesome idea <laughs> and now they've turned it into the kelvin timeline split equivalent well yeah so I, I see i wouldn't i never would have made the connection about this the scrubs becky but now that you say that because she came back as, as the wannabe mother right but so johnny galecki why is he not in the show remind me who that is david he played david um darlene's boyfriend the guy from Big Bang Theory. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's about got a better gig now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, on a competing network too. Isn't Big Bang Theory on CBS? But 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 
uh, the the actress who played uh, Darlene was also on Big Bang Theory for a number of years too. Yeah, right? but she was just a recurring role. She wasn't a regular. But she was on the show. I think probably because of her relationship with Johnny Galecki probably, on, yeah. on Roseanne. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Right. They do mention that she is uh, divorced, and it's unclear if David is is who that husband oh, the is, husband, the right, presumed right. father of her children. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like the kid who plays the the you know the the young the young son who's a little confused. But and it's weird that they've got the girl from um, from uh, Shameless on the show too, right? Uh, she plays Debbie on Shameless, the the older daughter. She's actually a redhead. Oh, um, Darlene's older daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they didn't focus too much on her in the first couple episodes, and I I, I don't watch Shameless. So I didn't I didn't recognize the face. What do you mean couple of ep- oh, I mean there's two episodes because there haven't been any more on, have there? No, but like they had a lot of focus on Roseanne, on Aunt Jackie, uh, Darlene. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. John Goodman's character. Um, DJ uh, and his daughter, and they talk about the fact that he's ex-military. His wife is apparently still uh, overseas. Yeah, well, they don't they don't cover them too much, and definitely the first two episodes focused on uh, Becky and the uh, like swirl of stuff going around Darlene and, and her uh, youngest son. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, they did mention at one point that the the two the, the the two Beckys could be sisters at one point. I think one of them says that. Right. It's yeah, really not, twisted. Not, I'm telling you, like the, you you could write like a whole series of blog posts trying to connect the dots i think on this becky is the key to the timeline split idea <laughs> well we'll have to see hmm. also it's kind of weird like does becky sound like her voice is really deep like she's been smoking a yeah, lot or yeah. did i just misremember what her voice was like but she sounds she sounds to, to me like becky but like i said i didn't watch that much of the show I, like i said i used to watch it you know when i was flipping channels and stuff like that right and I, you know i'd stop in for a visit i wouldn't really sort of pay attention to them that much but it's like it's like um, my wife really doesn't like that everybody loves Raymond uh, relationship with the family because she doesn't like the way they, they treat each other on the show and mm-hmm. I find Roseanne's the same way you know because they're they're super sarcastic and you know um, I think that their 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 affection or distrust of each or dislike of each other can be mistaken for you know actual genuine dislike you know as opposed to just sibling rivalry right yeah and I think I saw folks sort of upset around the the politics aspect of the, the first episode in particular yeah but I mean it sort of made sense to me for the characters and i feel like both sides were represented pretty well um i didn't really feel like it was absurdly unfair in in one side or the other i think they they poked and prodded at uh, at both sisters and, and and both sides of that argument so i heard some stuff about the the, the political leanings of, of of roseanne but is the, is roseanne Barr in real life aligned with roseanne in the in the story i think you know? yes really yeah oh wow huh somewhat surprisingly yeah considering yeah. I, you know, yeah. had a lot of respect for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, but they kind of cover that in the show too, right? Like there, there was a logical argument that makes sense given the real world and given the, um, the context under which that character is choosing. Like they took it to an extreme and it was like hella funny, at least to me, like uh, her interaction with Jackie on stuff and, and, and Jackie's like obviously looking for a fight, you know, from the first get go that she walks to the door and I don't, it just felt like Roseanne, like they, they, always seem to be touching these really sensitive topics and, and yeah, the second button, episode yeah. touches on another hot button one and they handle it the way that their characters probably would handle it which hot button epi- issue was that there was a couple of hot button issues in there so the one i'm talking about is the uh the confused son oh yeah um, yeah, yeah 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 for, yeah. for darlene and, and the way that they're like yeah like obviously this is the way that um deanne would respond and then this is how roseanne would respond right right huh. that's neatly wrapped up at the end of the 20 20- minute episode so right right mm-hmm. 
But like I said, it was just Roseanne was on. It was on reruns and all that kind of stuff for a long time too, right? Like it was on syndicated, right? Wasn't it? It probably still is. I think I still see it occasionally, yeah. like flipping through channels. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen it in a long time. I can't tell you the last time I watched an episode of Roseanne. You know, because I mean, like, um, I'm not sure if it's same. You said it's a different network. I always thought that the Big Bang Theory, because you know they've got um, oh, what's the name of the actress who plays Jackie uh, as Sarah Laurie. Sheldon's mom, right? Sorry, Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laurie Metcalf playing uh, Sheldon's mom and. And then you've got, you know, um, Darlene, whose big sister was the girl on um, Little House on the Prairie, by the way. Did you know that? I did not know that, but that No, I didn't sense. know that either. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, what's, what's her real name? I've forgotten her name now. Sarah Gilbert and Melissa yeah. Gilbert was the Little House on the Prairie one. Yeah, they're, they're sisters, I believe. Yeah. Huh. So, okay, I, I see the confusion here. So, looking right now, Big Bang Theory is a CBS property. Yeah. Roseanne is kind of complicated because this new season, season 10, is definitely ABC. But it looks like, just looking at the list, there's a huge list of like syndicates and cbs television distribution is one of those yeah so that's that's probably where the confusion but so comes so from. the guy who does um i forgot his name now the guy who does uh big bang theory also did i believe he did um dharma and greg and there's another show he does like chuck Lorre, a, you mean is that yeah what you're yeah i think and i think he has he used to have the vanity cards and i thought he was connected to roseanne at one point too like as original producer or something like that right i'd have to I look could, it I up. could be i could be wrong there's a whole there's a whole universe of, uh, what's his name, Chuck Lorre? Chuck Lorre, yeah. Yeah, with the black and white vanity cards that uh, he yeah, put yeah. at the end of like Big Bang Theory and a couple of the shows. Yeah, if you if you go to his um, website where he lists those vanity cards, you'll see that there's vanity cards from Dharma and Greg. and uh, Maybe I'm thinking, no, I shouldn't say it. I was going to say Will and Grace, but I don't think that's them either. Chuck Lorre. How do you spell Lorre? L-O-R-R-E. Well, tvguide.com has a Roseanne Barr opens up about feud with Chuck Lorre. Oh, really? In 2013. Oh, See? I knew it. Okay, so actually here here it is here. So Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men, Dharma and Greg, Grace Under Fire, and Mom, which is that other show, is what he was uh, plus five more. It says here that Barr has been feuding with Laurie, the creator behind Big Bang, since Laurie was a writer cutting his teeth on Roseanne. And it has to do with uh, Charlie Sheen being dismissed from Two and a Half Men after his whole debacle. And, and Roseanne Barr came to... It says his defense, presumably that's Charlie Sheen's defense. Hmm, interesting. Sarah Gilbert. Says here on The Guardian, Roseanne's return, 18.4 million watched comedy show reboot. Not mm. a reboot, it's a continuation. And if you think of it as a Kelvin timeline split, just like Viacom and Paramount both have different halves of the uh, the Star Trek timeline. By the way, Sarah Gilbert had two siblings that were in Little House on the Prairie, Melissa Gilbert and Jonathan Gilbert. I don't know who Jonathan Gilbert is. Is he like, did he play the son or something? Adopted son? Hmm. Oh, he was adopted into the family. Oh, what do you know? What do you know? Hmm. This trending thing on Google is weird. So through Sarah Gilbert, ended up on Johnny Galecki, and then there's like this trending timeline, like, all right, you know, John Goodman, all right, Roseanne Barr, that makes sense. Glenn Quinn, who apparently played, I believe he was Mark on the uh, on the show prior, and it's like Will Wheaton, Julie Chen, Laurie Metcalf. I'm like, what? What? How? What is this list comprised of? <laughs> Mayim Bialik. I'm like, what? It's just just like random shows I might have searched for. Given no, 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 searching no. For Big Those Bang are all Theory connected recently. to Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. By the way, I didn't know Melissa Gilbert or Melissa. Gilbert, is that right? Sarah Gilbert is married to Linda Perry. Do you know who Linda Perry is, right? No, who's Linda? Mm, not off the top of my head. American songwriter. She wrote. She wrote the song uh, "What's Going On," I believe it's called. Or she's written a number of songs for people. She wrote "Beautiful" by that Christina Aguilera sings. Oh, I see a picture of them together. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. She's written some stuff for Pink and some stuff for Gwen Stefani, Adele, Alicia Keys, Courtney Love. Plus, she's also she's also in the Songwriters Hall of Fame as of 2015. So yeah. Oh, she was. 
was in the band called Four Non Blondes. You know that band? Mark? Oh yeah, sure. I know that band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The What's Going On? You know the right. What's Going On song? Yep. That's that's yep. her. That's her. But yeah, she's a. Uh, she even wrote a cheap trick song. Who knew? One of the well-known ones, or just no, <laughs> no. Ariana Grande, Celine Dion, doing some Alicia Keys stuff. Well. Weirdness. Yeah, the new hotness is to take, um, come back to the Roseanne thing, uh, take old franchises and bring them back. Like, Will and Grace came back. Yeah. I don't see why Dharma and Greg couldn't come back. I mean... X-Files came yeah. back. Yeah. Which one came back? X-Files. Yep, X-Files. Like, what shows are out there that, that haven't come back that people remember? I, they can't bring back Seinfeld because Jerry Seinfeld would not do it. No, no. Uh, 30 Rock, I bet you could come back. You think? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I would love to see what uh, Jack Donahue would, would think of the current stuff. Because yeah. he was always like Ronald Reagan was America's greatest president. Of <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Alec Baldwin imitation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. I guess that one's much more recent than the others. What was, let's see, what else was coming from that time frame? Mm, kind of in between his third rock from the sun. Yeah. Didn't, uh, didn't the guy die though? Main actor? John, John Lithgow? Lithgow? No. Yeah. No? Nope. Still around. As far as I know, maybe you know something I don't know. I don't know. Let me Google him now. Yeah, right. This trending thing at the top is kind of weird, eh? Goes from yeah. Roseanne to the, to the talk, to Big Bang Theory, to Poison Ivy, to High Fidelity, Riding in Cars with Boys, ER, Boys Life 3, Desert Blue, The Big Cheese. What do they know about my my, my private data? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I looked up John Lithgow to see if he was alive. It looks like he still is. Yeah. Clicked on Third Rock from the Sun because it showed in a little panel as like a thing that he did. Yeah. And now... Oh, okay, okay. The the It makes sense. And I was like, I've drilled into John Lithgow, movies and TV shows, Third Rock from the Sun, and the related things are The Crown because he plays... What's his face? Uh, Winston Churchill. Churchill. Um, he was in Shrek. He played Winston Churchill a couple of couple last year or two. It's Footloose. Carrie and the Hendersons, which I do remember. Um, Interstellar? He was in that one? Yeah. He played the father. Grandfather, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played the wife's mother. Wife's father, I sorry. I don't even understand the order of these things. They're not even in, in time order. Silent Fall, 1994. This is 40, 2012. Amazing Stories, 1985 to 1987. This is John Lithgow you're looking at? I, I clicked on Third Rock from the Sun from John Lithgow. Yeah. Oh, Google. Doing these weird things. Season 6, Episode 20 of Third Rock from the Sun. Available on Amazon Video from 199 <laughs> It's really random. <laughs> God, I love Google. By the way, speaking of uh, tangents and going on a different direction, so on Saturday, I'm going to go see Ready Player One. Have you guys nice. uh, read the book? or? Oh, haven't. Been meaning to, plan, but I haven't read to see it. the movie? Yeah, I kind of wonder if you should read the book before you see the movie. Have you read the book? I, uh, yeah. I can't. I can't imagine. That I, I again. It's one of these books where, yeah, they could probably do a movie, but it should probably be like a mini series because <laughs> there's a lot of detail in there. Yeah, yeah. See, I that's can't. why my recommendation is go the opposite direction. Really? Watch the movie and be like, oh, that was pretty good. Now let me read the book, which is almost certainly better. Yeah. Um, why do people like doing the book and then the movie? Because then you're just disappointed. Like, oh, the book was better. It's like, well, you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer it, going. It, you know, I prefer ending on a high note, not disappointing. It, well, it depends. I mean, like, like, like I said, I've read all of the Harry Potters, and I don't think you've read any of them, right? I have not. Yeah. So there's so much more um, ability to tell story and to have subplots in a book than there are in a movie, right? So there mm-hmm. are entire subplots in the Harry Potter universe that aren't covered in the movies at all, right? Like, there's oh, yeah. a whole, there's a whole um, um, house elves, you know, the house elves. There's a whole class struggle for them throughout the entire series of books as well, right? And See, so, so me, I fully 
really enjoy the Harry Potter films. Yeah. And so at some point, if I ever get around to reading the books, I will be in for a treat because yeah. they will be even better than the movies that I already enjoy. Yeah. Well, so, and, and like there's another, so in the very first movie, you know, like he goes to school and he, he ends up, you know, he has the whole struggle about, you know, learning that he's a, a wizard and he ends up in, you know, first year and he's like the first term of the first year. And then the owl flies across the screen and then it's like, you know, spring and they're all getting ready to go home kind of thing. It's the end of the resolution of the story and all that kind of stuff, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, where the, the guy with the, the, the sorcerer stone and the, 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 prof- the teacher and all that kind of stuff. So there's a whole chunk of the book that they didn't even cover by just having the how- the owl fly across the screen. Like, you know, the Hedwig flies across the screen from, from left to right. And, and there's a whole, and they, they use that as a transition of time metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they, it's like they, they kind of grabbed the, you know, the middle third of the book and just tore it out of the, of the text and threw it away, right? You know, so. So Tim, I think you're helping making my argument that, that Mark should go watch the movie and then read the book. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, especially for Mark, because Mark is actually a child of the 80s, right, Mark? Uh, 70s. Late 70s, <laughs> 70s and 80s, 70s yeah. In the early 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty much, there's a lot of, like, 70s. I mean, the, I think the earliest reference in the book is probably, like, you know, a Canadian band starring three players from, like, you know, around 1973 or four, I think. What is that, All Buffalo Springfield? No. <laughs> <laughs> it almost fits that description though <laughs> well how many canadians were in buffalo springfield just one that i know of neil young uh yeah. wasn't uh stephen stills canadian too no huh? no he's american oh yeah you could also see the band too because the band is a lot of canadians right too yeah i think true. all but one right that's true yeah but uh, no no this is a trio a power trio mm-hmm. anyway yeah I, I, there's a lot of references to video games and uh and um music you know rock music and uh, comics and stuff like that and in and all, all they're going to do is throw it's going to seem like easter egg hunting when you go see the movie that'll be my impression of it right right because they won't be able to illuminate the amount of because there was a lot of you know struggle in that in that story where you know there were there were months where or it seemed like months where where nothing was happening right uh, how do you produ- you can't put that in a movie people would just fall asleep right <laughs> you, know, you do well, the 80s style montage where he the, the hero is is struggling and getting nowhere and you know he grows a little beard or whatever you know his hair oh, gets okay, a little longer yeah. whatever it is and and, and, you, the, you, and the owl you use the, the owl screen. to hand wave <laughs> the passage of time. <laughs> okay, Stephen Stills is is American, but he yeah. and Neil Young met in 1965 at the Fourth Dimension in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. really? Because yeah. because I thought that um, Joni Mitchell introduced. Uh, mo- mo- I'm sorry. I guess I guess Joni Mitchell introduced Graham Nash to Stephen Stills and David. Yeah, Crosby. they were all, already sort of famous by then. Because were they? they? That well, that was after. Oh, yeah, Buffalo Springfield, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was he was a Holly, right? He was in the Hollies. Graham Nash was in the Hollies and Stoles was in Buffalo Springfield. And, and Joni Mitchell yeah. was just Joni Mitchell, yeah. Yeah, and, and Bill, Bill uh, Cos... Uh, not Bill Cosby. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Crosby. David Crosby. David Crosby. David Crosby, yeah. David yeah. Crosby was in The Birds. Mm-hmm. Was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he was also in Buffalo Springfield. No, Crosby was not in Buffalo Springfield. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Right, right. Buffalo Springfield was Neil Young, Stephen Stills, Richie Fure, who was also Canadian, I think. Uh, uh, did you did Palmer. you read the book? Uh, did you read Graham, Graham Nash's book? No. Yeah. Don't watch the movie. Watch read the book. <laughs> I hear it slams. David Crosby, right? 
Huh? He slams David Crosby in the book a lot. He doesn't really. No, he it's he did it. He did in in some interviews, but but in the book he's actually quite respectful and reverent of him. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean he just talks about the fact that the first couple of times they started singing together it was like magic because it was instead of having two voices it was three voices, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. And Neil Young, he, he he does sort of he does sort of uh, slam Neil Young quite a bit in the book too. But oh, he does really? Well, I mean, yeah. And uh, Neil Young was a little full of himself at the time, right? So I guess, yeah, yeah. So according to the, the text, right? So yeah, yeah. It's nothing but praise for Joni Mitchell in that book, right? So yeah, Stephen Stills is touring actually. Is he? Yeah, with um, what's her name? The one who he wrote "Sweet Judy Blue Eyes" for, Judy Collins. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Also, Jackson Brown is touring. If you have any interest in that, yeah, he'd be cool to see. I think he, yeah. he's sort of a um, honorary eagle, right? So, you know, I read um, was it Grand Fly's book? No, is it, there's a on on Netflix. There's a um, an eagle. Eagles um, documentary. Yeah, I've seen Fry. Yeah, he, talk, he talks about uh, living living above Jackson Brown, and that he learned how to write music from uh, emulating him, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he wrote a bunch of early um, Eagles songs, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's fair to call him an honorary Eagle because it was more like the Eagles kind of you know stole from him, him <laughs> right? As as the, as the professional guy in the early days, right, right, right. Yeah, they were Linda Ronstadt's band, and uh, right, that, that was her claim to fame, right? Well, she had other claims to fame too. Yeah. Oh no. She was quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw her on something the other day. Apparently, she's not. She's retired now and you know, unable to sing and that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is sad. Amazing voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to be seeing Ready Player One this weekend, but uh, I am hoping to see Pacific Rim Uprising this weekend. Yeah. Really? So you yeah. know, I you know, I ended up I ended up with like I ended up buying three tickets for that the other day. Mm-hmm. And, and did you go find um, deserving children in the community to no? I didn't tag so, along so, with you. So what happened was I got into the theater and I and I I, I looked around. And, and it was like uh, it was starting at like seven thirty, but at seven forty-five, Wrinkle in Time was was starting. So I, I said, "Screw it," and went short, went and ro- watched Wrinkle in Time instead. So, so how was that one? Um, it's a rental. <laughs> yeah. It was okay. It was very pedestrian. I, I read the book, like as like we talked about in this podcast. I read the book, and the book was kind of not really didn't really knock my socks off. Uh, it was a kids' book, right? Yeah, Carol. Carol says she read it to the kids, and she read it to my daughter I and stuff that like that. Was and like ten years old. Yeah. So and from that perspective, it was you know. I mean, there were some young kids sitting next to me who just loved it, right? So uh, it was okay. It was, you know, very, very, a very Disney movie. Like it, like you know, when the Disney castle came up, I knew, okay, well, it certainly wasn't uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for sure, right? Right. But it, the special effects are really interesting and very nice and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, and again, you know, the character that Oprah plays is, you know, larger than life, kind of like a, a huge uh, person, right? But I, I don't, I didn't get make the connection between why they had to have. Oprah Winfrey play that role, other than Oprah Winfrey, right? Um, she didn't right. add anything to it. Like it could have been any actor, any actress could have played that role. You know, you know, it's kind of like Alec Guinness playing mm-hmm. Obi Wan Kenobi. Like you know, in the grand scheme of things, who cares really? I mean, I, Alec Guinness was a great actor at the time, but you know, kind of think they they had expectations for this to be this great epic because it's this book that's been around for you know fifty yeah. years and everybody knows. Oh yeah, who's read it and I, and I think they thought the movie was going to be bigger than it actually was. Yeah, and yeah, like Oprah in there, you know. Would, would be the kind of the anchor of that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, from that from that perspective, I mean, it was interesting. I think I also circumstance. I mean, coming up against Black Panther and uh, mm-hmm. you know, what was the other movie? Oh, Tomb Raider. So, so it was kind of um, and Pacific Rim. I mean, how could it how could it possibly hold a candle <laughs> to that? Pime, right? See, Tim, this is what I, I know what I'm getting in for with Pacific Rim. This is why I have to see it in theater. Otherwise, I'm not going to want to watch it. Yeah, you know, at home, like there's not going to be any character arcs. There's not going to be any emotions. Yeah. 
I'm really just going to see big robots punch, punch monsters in the face, <laughs> potentially with like buses or boats or something. Lots while of collateral damage, popcorn. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a day to like let my brain rest, you know, just like a couch cushion sort of day for my brain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>